0: Hello everyone, this is Ari in the air, welcome back to the podcast, stoked you're here. Today I want to talk about the things that have been working for me lately in my relationships and the things that have really helped. That's not to say that my relationships have been easy lately or that I'm in a place of effortlessness or even ease. Now, nah, some of my relationships are quite easy easeful, I should say, more than easy. But the nature of today's talk is some resources that have been very helpful for me in relationship. It's not just intimate ones, but obviously that is a big part of it. And yeah, I want to share it with you. And uh, to note the inspiration here to note the inspiration here is essentially that um, two of my closest friends were married recently I went to Hawaii to see Chris Hoyt and Kelly get hitched and I have a way with words as you know And I wanted to gift them some words. But I was kind of tired and i just eaten a big meal and they called me up onto the microphone to speak in front of the hundred something people that were there. And I really just didn't feel like... Wisdoming. I made some really funny jokes that made everyone laugh. And... I congratulated the newlywed couple <laughs> and I sat my sassy ass back down in the chair. Um, a lot of people remarked on how much they liked the speech and how funny it was, um, but I there's still some kind of void that I wanted to be able to uh, gift Chris and Kelly some I don't know, I'm reluctant to say guidance because I... bumble-fucking through my own relationships and I think that they have a really good thing going and they're great to each other, so I don't say this from a place of hubris that I think they need my help, but just the idea that I would gift them some kind of my attention and my thoughts around what is helpful in communication and relationship. Um... They're two of my biggest fans, and I love them so much. Um, And so, yeah, this is for Chris and Kelly, and for all the other people who want to be better friends, better families, better people, and better communicators. Okay, so cheers to that. Here's a little music. We'll be back with some thoughts. Here we go. Just so you know, I'm planning to put links to these various resources in the description below so you can find that while I get some sticky fucking thing out of my throat. (coughs) God, what's going on? I think it's from uh, before I record, I basically like plug in my microphone and then I plug my headphones in to make sure that my headphones are playing what the microphone is recording so I can hear, which always, like a child in a mirror, makes me make funny noises. (laughs) And I think I (laughs) opened my my mouth really wide and put the microphone (laughs) inside of my mouth and made some really breathy, funny, deep noises. And I think I may have inhaled a piece of the foam (laughs) off of the microphone. I'm not proud of it, but it's true, okay? So, I apologize for the for the gulps of water here. <laughs> um, I'm just pulling something up on my phone here. And it is the first resource that I want to refer to. And it is Daniel Schmachtenberger's blog. I've mentioned Daniel Schmachtenberger, God, how many times on this podcast. He's one of my most favorite thinkers and one of my biggest intellectual mentors of my life, Um, someone who I really look up to, and his website is called civilizationemerging.com, and he has a blog on there, and this particular entry is called A Few Guidelines That Tend to Support the Quality of Dialogue. I think that if I'm talking about resources on relationships, I might just read this to you. What do you think? Okay, yeah, I'm going to do that. So, this is Danish Mochtenberger's blog called A Few Guidelines That Tend to Support the Quality of Dialogue. If we're talking about resources for relationships, obviously we're looking for guidelines that do that to support the quality of our dialogue. He has it as a bulleted list, and it starts with the first topic as On Intent. And connection. He writes, "The most common deathbed regret I have heard is not having expressed enough love, hurting people unnecessarily, doing things that cause isolation, and staying stuck in limiting ego patterns." Also fall in the in the short list of main regrets. Conversely, one of the common themes of people's highlight lists is the way they positively touched people. Keeping this in mind. Keep this in mind as much as possible. You don't know how close to suicide someone is or what they might be going through. Also keep this in mind. Demonstrate respect for the person you are communicating with. If you don't respect the other person, it probably doesn't make sense to engage at all. Which I want to annotate here that, wow, what a concept. If you don't respect a person, it's probably not worth engaging at all. We tend to grow up with this idea that things are obligated, that we have to engage with everyone, that we can't just not talk to someone, that we can't just pull ourselves away, that we can't just physically leave. This is ingrained in us from childhood when our relationship with our parents was obligatory. We couldn't leave no matter how they treated us. So a reminder that If you don't respect a person, it probably doesn't make sense to engage at all. Conversely, he writes, If you do respect them, make sure it comes across. Like I said, I'm reading a bulleted list here of tips. The connection matters more than the content. The content flows through the connection. Damaging the connection because of the seeming importance of this current issue usually ensures that you don't get... That issue through the way you want it and it decreases your chance to do so in the future always seek to be building the bandwidth and integrity of connection in each communication I want to annotate here the analogy that I have in my head around this topic is that connection is the bridge in which communication passes Connection is the bridge in which communication passes. And connection is actually the important thing. It allows communication to flow both ways, and it should be an anti-fragile system. It should be something that can withstand um, perturbations of the system itself, meaning that an earthquake shouldn't take your bridge down. A big life trauma shouldn't take your bridge down. More importantly, or... I don't know if more importantly is the right word, but... But more commonly, your opinions or positions should not damage the bridge. I think this is our most common mistake in humanity. This is my most common mistake in in relationship, is that sometimes it seems that the content of the conversation is so important that it should take precedence over the connection itself. And that is never the case. The connection is always the most important thing. His previous tip of, if you don't respect someone, it it probably doesn't make sense to engage at all, is essentially saying, if the bridge isn't there, what are you going to cross anyways? If the bridge isn't there, what are you going to cross anyways? So, I love that. Always seek to be building the bandwidth and integrity of connection in each communication. Which is to say, always seek to be building the bridge and its integrity, how well it will stand into the future in each communication. Okay, the next point. Explore honestly with yourself why you are communicating. Are you looking to explore ideas and learn together? To experience authentic connection, to offer or receive support, or to make a point, to seem smart, to win or be right, to receive validation, the conversation will bear fruit in alignment with the actual motives at play. (sighs) That's amazingly profound. The conversation will bear fruit in alignment with the actual motives at play. Why are you communicating? This is touching on what is going to be my biggest resource here for relationship, which is a framework developed by a man named Marshall Rosenberg called nonviolent communication. And this is foreshadowing a bit by essentially saying that it is of critical import that you begin to understand your needs. You have to be able to label them and understand them so that you can both have your needs met and enrich your life and allow others to help you enrich your life, as well as start to to see more clearly the strategies that you use and are using to have your needs met. I'm going to, that's my foreshadowing of nonviolent communication, which is something that I'm definitely going to get into here in just a minute, but I'm going to continue with Schmachtenberger's list. Who do you most want to be? What do you most want others to feel and experience from interacting with you? <clears> that just bursts me into tears. It's just like the fucking dissonance of like who I want to be, and how I want others to feel and experience from interacting with me, and how it seems that they do. <laughs> and that's not to say that people don't have a positive experience interacting with me. I just as relationships come and go and. I find myself and my intimate partners hurting from our communication or lack thereof. It's just a painful dissonance there in me to read that. Who do you most want to be? What do you most want others to feel and experience from interacting with you? You can choose that in each interaction. Wow, what an incredibly powerful reminder And I think that if I was to be able to hold this in my head when I was interacting, that my communication and my empathy, my listening would be more in alignment with who it is that I really want to be. Okay, the next topic here is on listening. Take responsibility to listen effectively to what the other person is seeking to express. Notice he said, seeking to express. Listening can be active and even helpful. Oftentimes people have very real tacit knowledge or lived experience that is meaningful, but they might not know how to articulate clearly. Oftentimes, when someone is upset, they exaggerate or distort the communication of their grievance, which is easy for the listener to take objection to and get defensive about. But there is usually a grain of real truth and experience that needs to be heard. If it is worth engaging at all, it is worth actively listening for what is trying to be expressed that has meaning to it. I noted he used the term seeking. Uh, Take responsibility to listen actively to what the other person is seeking to express. And at the bottom, if it's worth engaging at all, it's worth actively listening for what is trying to be expressed. This is steel manning. I've talked about steel manning before, and he's going to, Steel Manning's two bullet points down, and this is uh, what Steel Manning essentially is. So we'll get to that in just a second. The next point is, seek first to understand. If both people are trying to make points and be heard, no one is listening and real communication can't occur. If you can, seek to understand the other person's position first. Ask earnest questions until you feel like you have a good sense of their position. Then offer a synopsis to see if you have understood correctly. Often people disagree before even making sure they understood the other person rightly, and often they are disagreeing about made-up things. This is called straw manning, where you take what a person says, and instead of seeking first to understand it, you take what they say, and you... Stuff straw into a pair of jeans and a shirt and you put it on a tee of wood and you make a scarecrow out of it and then you f- react to the scarecrow that you've just created in your mind as opposed to taking the time and effort to really understand their point so that you can understand what is trying to be said. This is Steel Man. His next bullet point starts with Steel Manning is a form of communicating back what you understood their position to be, where you seek to argue their position as strongly as you can. Beyond building relationship, it will help rapidly advance your understanding and perspective taking capacities. I've talked about steel Manning here on the show before, and. He's saying that steel manning is offering reflections of what you heard so that you can clarify what the person meant. In the ter- in the framework of nonviolent communication, when you're actively listening, you reflect back to a person what they heard to give them an opportunity to either feel empathically listened to, that you really get them, that you're that you're really tuned in, and they are. Heard, or that their communication wasn't enough, and they can clarify, they can correct, and even just by reflecting back to them, they get an opportunity to extrapolate. They get an opportunity to elaborate on how they feel and more, and clarify it. and And what Schmachtenberger says two points above is that what they're trying to say isn't always what they're saying. We all have a hard time expressing ourselves clearly, especially when it's raw, emotional, vulnerable, painful, especially when it's in conflict, especially when we're talking to our partners. There's so much that's so difficult, and if we can enter into a type of listening that is very soft, that seeks to help the person express through our own reflections and active listening empathically, Then, like he says here, beyond building your relationship, it will help you rapidly advance your own understanding and perspective-taking capacities. This is an amazing tool. Reflecting back what you heard, empathically, the other person can offer clarification or feel heard. Next point, if someone says something that seems unusually dumb or terrible, give the benefit of the doubt that a misunderstanding occurred and seek to clarify. For example, I think I might have misunderstood because it sounded like you said X, and I imagine that might not be what you actually meant. The next point is, acknowledge what you do agree or resonate with in their position before addressing what the differences are. Um, And I would add something there that I think he's going to get to, so I'll keep going. The next topic here is on speaking. So, take responsibility to communicate effectively to the person you are speaking with. It doesn't matter how clear you think you were if the message you intended isn't what they received. Communication is not talking at someone. It is making common something between you. If that hasn't happened, you may have spoken, but you haven't yet communicated. He's referring to the etymology of the word communication, which is to make common I would say, to annotate here, our pitfall around this is that when we don't feel heard, we take it personally. The parallel in nonviolent communication is essentially where someone, we feel unheard by them and we take it personally and we tend to say in our heads, you're not listening right, and the proper action recommended by Rosenberg in nonviolent communication is rather, I hear that you heard X, and that's not what I meant. Maybe you'll give me a chance to express myself more clearly. Because as Schmachtenberger says, it doesn't matter how clear you think you were if the message you intended isn't what they received. The Next point. Be careful to avoid statements where you entangle an important point and a subtle criticism such that the other person would have to lose face to accept your point. Eliciting defensiveness prevents being heard. Oh, this is such a huge one. Um, and I'm going to continue drawing parallels to nonviolent communication, which is surely something that Schmachtenberger is well-versed in. Um or uh, Rosenberg, in nonviolent communication, one of the first tenets of it is observation without evaluation. This is what Krishnamurti says is the highest level of intelligence, is observation without evaluation. This is nonjudgmentalism. I'm going to get to that. The next point is, remember you are speaking to this person because you want to, and they are giving you their time to listen. You are not obligated to communicate, nor they to listen. So speak in a manner that engenders them to want to engage and hear what you have to say. The desire to engage can't be taken for granted, and like anything, needs continually tended. Note that all the qualities that are likely to elicit defensiveness or disinterest in the other, independent of the topic, and be careful to avoid them, such as righteousness, frustration, superiority, jadedness, assumed authority, dismissiveness, overconfidence, confidence, abrasiveness, indifference, and the like. When stating a differing opinion, Frame it in a non-combative manner. For example, there is an alternate perspective that I'd like to bring up, rather than saying simply, I disagree, followed by a cantor position statement. Um, There's a really great series that Schmachtenberger has made on a YouTube channel called Rebel Wisdom. It's also available in a podcast form. And it's titled The War on Sensemaking. And he talks a lot about how any virtue can be weaponized. And this is kind of referring to the weaponization of honesty, where we would just use the term honesty honesty, I'm doing air quotes here, to give ourselves, how do I say, to give ourselves the room to say things that are abrasive, raw, frustrated, righteous, superior, dismissive, overconfident, indifferent, all these things. So instead of weaponized honesty, we actually want to be able to have high sensitivity for what we really, um, what the raw feeling is that we have, but also a high level of emotional regulation so that we can take that thing, that really raw, honest thing, and not just blurt that out, but to frame it and deliver it in a way that Carries with it the importance of this bridge, the importance of the connection, as opposed to thinking that the content is the most important. Be careful not to express your views as absolutes, even when you think they are. Phrases like, the reality of it is, or what's actually happening is, or the key takeaway is, or... Ultimately, these statements usually come across as power plays and engendered defense rather than openness. Totally agree. If heated, slow down and re-center before responding. Reconnect with your intention for being in the dialogue. That's so important. seems that as we get ourselves into dialogues that are more and more heated or more and more important subject matter, we tend to speed up when in reality we need to slow down. I think it's so healthy to be able to have a agreement in a relationship that if a person is triggered or if a person, if you, if you feel like you're outside of your window of tolerance, if you're triggered, if you're pissed off, if you know that you heard something that like, it just like got you, it's so important to be able to say, I need a minute or I'm going to walk away and go for a walk for 20 minutes and I'll be back. Um, neurology shows us that it takes at least 25 minutes to come out of a fight or flight response. So if you find yourself in that, in your relationship, you have to be able to build into it the ability to walk away. You know, so often our parents were like, don't walk away from me. Give me an answer. I remember my father doing that incessantly. And I think it trained my nervous system to feel like I need to rush in important conversations. And lately, the more intense the conversation, and especially the ones I know are coming, the ones I can kind of prepare myself for, I find that literally when I feel myself triggered, I close my eyes and I actually just tune back into like the physical center of my body, like my stomach and my chest. And it usually pretty quickly takes the edge off of it for me. And that's not to say that I'm completely out of that cortisol response that neurology shows us takes at least 25 minutes of doing something completely unrelated to get out of, but it does surely seem to help. So, um, if he did slow down and recenter before responding, reconnect with your intention for being in the dialogue. That's so important. And like I have, fucking cried earlier when I read the the one about how do you want to most to be? How would you like people to experience you in interacting with you? If you could reconnect with your intention for being in the dialogue at all times, God, that'd be so helpful, right? Such a good one. Okay, next one. Take the time To think through what you want to say clearly. Then communicate as precisely and thoughtfully as you can. This is an act of respect and will help you clarify your own thinking. Acknowledge the good points others make and when you learn something. Admit when you don't know a word or a concept and ask for clarification. When sharing something you learn from someone else, acknowledge the source. A practice of credit-giving more than credit-seeking leads to a more reciprocal and knowledge-sharing community. If your own social norms are meaningfully different from the group or person you're communicating with, factor that. Okay, the next topic is uncommon traps. Ad hominem insults, pejorative assessments or the other f- pejorative assessments of the other as a form of rebuttal, straw manning, etc., are particularly egregious and tend to kill any chance of real communication. If you notice yourself tempted into these places, simply walk away. If someone else goes there, disengage. Do not let someone else's poor behavior justify your own. Let them recenter themselves desire for the last word or the most synthesizing frame, this is a power play. Using humor to insult the other with plausible deniability. This is something that I have recorded a 30-minute podcast on. It's titled, Watch Your Mouth, and it's a lesson that I Had to learn for so long after I used jokes to insult people over and over and over and over and over and gave myself plausible deniability because, air quotes, it was a joke. It's called shutting the fuck up. Next one, bypassing active listening because you think you know what they are going to say or thinking about what you're going to say next while they are talking. That is not listening justifying your own poor behavior because their view will destroy the world or their behavior wants it, warrants it. Sorry. The top point in the note is remembering your intention. And so his next point is forgetting the top point in this note, forgetting your intention in the conversation. That's so often our pitfall. We so often lose track of that. The next one, seeing others as perpetrators to fulfill subtle patterns to either be a rescuer or a victim. Dehumanizing someone by assessing them to be part of a group you can instantly write off. Sociopath, narcissist, climate denier, anti-vaxxer, conspiracy theorist, Trump supporter, racist, ignorant, bigoted, terrorist, bleeding-heart liberal, etc. This is othering and is not a good way to continue the bridge of communication, of connection. The next one is assuming that others have similar intuitions as you, or if they don't, they are certainly the ones not seeing reality clearly. This is under-assessing the possibility of your own misassessment. Thinking that your rightness in your own eyes translates to how any experiences your behavior, Hold on a second. This is funny because Schmachtenberger is uh, an amazing thinker and often has typos in his blogs, (laughs) which I love. I just love that. (laughs) He just puts it up there. Thinking that your rightness in your own eyes translates to how anyone experiences your behavior or to the reality of how you affected the situation. Mm. Mm, This is some kind of weaponized honesty. Not taking the time to really imagine how the other person is likely experiencing you. Forgetting that once you've written them off, they don't leave the planet, and the way you interacted with them may have had the opposite effect of what you'd hoped. Okay, the next topic is on discernment. Your concerted good faith interaction will make relationships and communication so much better. And the other person is still who they are. You have a finite number of minutes here. Choose wisely how you spend them and with whom. This is incredible. I've talked about good faith interactions on this podcast a number of times. I think if you just go back two or three, you'll find that. No one wants to be mentally ill. No one wants to be mistrustful or jaded or angry all the time. Even if you decide to set a boundary and not interact with someone, you can still have care and compassion for them. Hmm. Virtues. Kindness, generosity, sincerity, earnestness, care, honesty, integrity, humility, curiosity, friendliness, open-mindedness, rigor, compassion, forgiveness, loyalty, impeccability, thoughtfulness, consideration, Love. These values are what give rise to these guidelines and the so many others that you know and are what motivate the sincere effort required and are what guide our discernment about what is right action in each unique moment and instance. Note, these are more to offer a sense of the types of considerations, to hopefully give a sense for a gestalt beyond the specifics. This is nowhere near a full list of communication guidelines, and of course there are exceptions to each of these. That's why are they presented as generalized guidelines or principles worth considering, rather than absolute rules or laws. Also important to note that nothing here indicates not being real, direct, and honest, or fudging on the truth for social agreement or not having conviction. These principles serve truth as they both help us understand other perspectives better that we might have been missing and communicate in ways others are more likely to hear. Like I said, that was Daniel Schmachtenberger's blog post on his website, Civilization Emerging, titled A Few Guidelines That Tend to Support the Quality of Dialogue, of which I'm super grateful. Thank you, Daniel, for that. There's a lot in there. I'm so happy to be able to annotate those with my own thoughts. Um, Okay. Just need a moment here to switch gears into the next resource that I think is helpful for me. Um, One resource that I think is helpful for me is called the Enneagram, and I was very reluctant to use the Enneagram at first, and let me describe why and what it is. So the Enneagram is... Most people think it's a personality test, and in a way it kind of is. God. The deer is eating the lilac bush outside of my window, and I like the lilacs. And when the deers eat them, they don't grow. Quit it! God. Urban deer, man. (laughs) sorry (laughs) this is an interesting recording today okay the enneagram the enneagram is actually a very interesting tool that its roots go all the way back into sufi mysticism where they basically made connections between the seven deadly sins and how they relate to one another and psychologists came in and kind of used that framework, they added two states of being to it. So um, in the Enneagram, there are nine personality types which correspond to the seven deadly sins and two states of being, which essentially, psychologically, it refers to the various core wounds that we can have as people and how our psyches and our personalities cope with them. The thing that I like about the Enneagram um, is that instead of it being a personality test, it's actually a tool for self-discovery. It is a tool that you use to help you understand yourself better and a tool that you use to help you communicate how you see yourself with other people. In the frame of relationships, this is incredibly helpful. So the thing I don't like about astrology, when I meet someone, they're like, oh yeah, hi, nice to meet you. What's your sign? I have... I basically, uh, lately, I... I, (laughs) I uh, respond to that with some kind of jadedness that I don't know, and I don't care. When I know, because I've been asked so many times, and they type me as a Capricorn. Oh, Capricorn, yeah, I know your type. I'm like, because of my birthday, and you've met me, you know my type. And so, internally, I have this gigantic middle finger that comes out and just goes right into their face. Because... Basically, that's a person saying, oh, you told me your birthday. I know your type. And I say, fuck you. You don't know me. What I like about the Enneagram is that I can take a test that will ask me a number of different questions about how I see myself and how I see myself interacting in groups and with relationships and with myself. And then this quiz can give recommendations as to the types that I might identify with. Then I take the effort to read about these types, how they're described, and I myself can identify or disidentify with them. So when I talk to someone and tell them my Enneagram type, I am telling them the way that I see myself. And what that allows them is for them to understand how I see myself so that they can more readily empathize with me. If they can see me how I see me, then they can factor that into their communication with me, which is really helpful. I have a um, basically, I found out about the Enneagram because my best friend Daniel went to this therapist who recommended that he and his partner look into the Enneagram. And the therapist had this book called The Enneagram in Love and Work. And it basically talks about the relational dynamics between different Enneagram types. And this is a very interesting thing to read. This is all available online for free. You can also pay the Enneagram Institute, which has some of the best Enneagram stuff. It's like $15 to do the quiz, and then you kind of have a membership, so you can look into all these different relational dynamics and how they um, might be. And... Like any other part of the Enneagram, this is for you to help, to help you interpret how your relationship actually is. It's not it's not prescribing. It's not prescribing. It's not saying that this is how your relationship is going to be. It's saying it has a chance to be like this. And you can use that information to kind of identify and to learn. And it's quite helpful, and it's kind of fun, and it's something I didn't think I would be interested in, and it has proven to be quite helpful. Um, One of the most helpful things about it that I've found is that it kind of starts with your core wound, and because of that, so much of our psyches and our personalities arise as a response to our core wound and our traumas in childhood, And so it kind of just, when we can pinpoint our own core wound, we can kind of see our behavior a bit more lovingly and a bit more, um, like, a bit uh, disassociated from it. It's not as personal. Um, Also, the Enneagram starts with our core wound in childhood, and hopefully through life we are evolving towards more and more wholeness and more and more healing away from that and so it doesn't mean that this is your core wound and this is how you're going to be for the rest of your life no it's really a it's a tool for self-knowledge and self-knowledge is great so it's helpful in that way so i recommend it for people and couples enneagram okay the next thing, and I think that we will, this will probably be the end of it here. This is Back to Nonviolent Communication, a framework created by Dr. Marshall Rosenberg. He was a clinical psychologist and then basically became an educator Nonviolent communication educator and traveled around the country giving seminars and teaching at schools and he wrote a number of books. Um, nonviolent communication is the main one, and then there are a number of ones more specific to relationships. There are ones specific to education, conflict resolution. Um, if you go back a couple podcasts, you'll see that Marianne, a nonviolent communication educator from Amsterdam came on the show and helped us understand it and answered some sticky points that I have had in my relationship in my life. Um, Nonviolent communication, I can say, is the communication modality. It is the single book that I've read in my life that I think has had the most profound impact on my trajectory, my healing, My self-love, my understanding of myself, my understanding of the world, which is a crazy fucking thing for me to say because I have been philosophizing and trying to understand the world and talking with psychologists and talking with all these meta thinkers, these amazing galaxy brains. And I find that nonviolent communication has had the biggest impact on how I understand people, the world, myself, my own conditioning. I think that the power in nonviolent communication is essentially that by illuminating the ways in which we communicate, both internally, how we speak to ourselves and how we speak to others, we illuminate our own conditioning. We illuminate the ways that we project our needs, our feelings, our expectations onto others. Nonviolent communication is a form of communication that focuses on bringing like maximizing connection, right? Just like Schmachtenberger was talking about how connection is actually the most important thing. And if you don't think the connection is important, then you shouldn't communicate. You couldn't even if you tried. Nonviolent communication focuses on connection first, and it desires to have us communicate at the level of feelings and needs. We are in a time in the world and a society that really, we, we don't have good self-knowledge of our needs and our feelings, and because of this, we're often confused about what we're going through, and this is such a problem, this enormous problem. Because our feelings and needs will dictate all of our behavior. And if our feelings and needs are unknown, then our behavior will manifest from our subconscious, from the unknown, right? It is, feels like a weight off of me to even begin to start thinking of my life in the terms of how I feel what I need, and what strategies I employ to have my needs met. It's incredible. The amount of shame that has been alleviated from my life because I can think about my needs more clearly and make requests for the people around me as to... How I can have my own needs met by myself and how I would love others to help me meet my needs and enrich my life. I, at this point, right now, I think that this is the most powerful resource for the success for your for your mental health for the health of your relationships for the success of your relationships for the depth of connection that you can make with other human beings it is the single greatest resource that i can point you towards i don't think i can do it justice in my explanation I don't think I can describe to you the profundity of the explanatory power of the way our world is shaped based on the way we talk to ourselves and each other. It is mind-boggling and it has floored me so many times. I have just cried so much reading this book. It is so illuminating as to how I was raised, how I was taught to communicate, how I was never taught to understand my feelings, my needs. Um I can't recommend that enough. So please if you take anything from this podcast please it there are so many copies of nonviolent communication out. It's been printed. It's in it's like 6th edition. There's like they're at most used bookstores. It's like $3 on the internet with free shipping. It's like just get yourself a copy of nonviolent communication and read it twice. It is not easy. It is such a process of unlearning. It is a process of vulnerability and humility to admit that maybe I don't actually know how to communicate with you. Even though I love you and we've built such a relationship already, maybe I actually don't know how to communicate that. Maybe I don't know what I feel and what I need and how to communicate that at all times and that I need some kind of framework here. It is such an act of humility and respect to yourself and to everyone else that you interact with to undertake this. And I feel so fucking proud of myself, honestly. (laughs) It's been so fucking hard, man. It's been so fucking hard. It's been so hard because it's like, as you learn it, some of the first things that happen is like it illuminates how you were raised and how you're conditioned. And then the next thing it does is it shows you how often you fuck it up. Which is hard, but man, how important. How important to be able to start to see more clearly the ways in which you project your expectations onto people. So helpful. such a wonderful, life-giving, life-enriching book, and I'm so happy to share it with you. And thank you so much for listening. It's been cathartic for me to talk to you about this, and I hope it helps. I hope Chris and Kelly and other couples might use these resources to deepen their connection and to affirm it and to make it less fragile, to keep the bridge, whole and intact, and traffic going both ways effortlessly. If you listen to this podcast and you like it, please consider becoming a patron on Patreon. Um, that enriches my life and encourages me. I really appreciate it. I love you guys. I love you, Chris and Kelly. Congratulations on your marriage and your wedding. You guys are an inspiration to me. I'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. Love you.